Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me today, a, a former guest, so she is a veteran, uh, Allison Pollard. Allison, how are you? Good, good. So last time we talked, I think you had done a, a presentation with Barry Forrest at Agile Indy. Yes. I think mm -hmm. that was the last time we had you on the show. Very, a lot of fun down there. I was surprised... I'm always surprised at how amazing uh, these these local events are. I think Agile Indy, what, seven, 800 people, just a massive yeah. event, really cool stuff down there. Yeah, it's hard to think of any of these events as being small anymore because I'm noticing a number of them are growing, you know, 100 people a year. So it's yeah, pretty it's, incredible. It really is. And I really enjoyed that conversation. Our, our brewmaster friend Barry's not with us this time. It's We have Allison... Uh, it's it's just going to be the two of us, and I think this yeah. is going to be a lot of fun. We don't get a we don't get a chance to talk like this very often. I think we saw each other last at uh, the Agile Coaching Summit. Yes, yes, so that you, you were, put on in Chicago, great city. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. You were gracious enough to share your wedding anniversary. I think. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, my husband decided to join me for the weekend in Chicago. Uh, married nine years. Uh, so it was really nice that, that he's gracious enough to uh, let me do stuff like that. Yeah, so we're, we're very glad uh, that you were able to do that. I think that was a lot of fun, and you definitely helped make that event uh, much, much better. So thanks for that. And, uh, and now that we're here, I think we have a few good topics. So I'm actually... And, and two of these, these are topics that... Um, We'll just get into them, but these have been talked about a lot, especially uh, in the Slack channel for Agile for Humans, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are really pondering self-organization. You know, it's a yeah. word. We toss this around 
so oh, yeah. Much. And I mean, what what other, you know, areas or industries do you hear people talk about self-organizing, you know, as frequently as you do in in agile land? Um, it's such a scientific term. And I think most of us forget, like, what does it mean to allow for self-organizing or witness self-organizing? You know, having a group that is really choosing how to operate together Um I had been reading a number of articles by Margaret Wheatley uh, in the last week or so. She's a fantastic organizational change agent. Um, she's worked in just about every kind of organization you can imagine. And she's published these articles where she started digging into some of the science of complexity and really reflecting on you know, self-organizing behaviors and, and the kinds of relationships uh, that you see in, in companies where people are allowed, um, are enabled to, you know, adopt change together. Um, They're able to find alignment and work through some of the difficulties. Um, And she had talked about like a a fractal nature of behaviors in organization that I also thought was really interesting. You know, when you look at the different layers of a company, uh, and there's still quite a few in my experience, um, from you know executives to middle management down to the teams, you know what commonalities do you see in the behaviors uh, and how things work? You know what's talked about, what's not talked about. So not to not to give away too much of uh, Margaret's punchline, but what are you finding to be the commonality there? Because this is a topic. So this actually came up in a episode that we recorded recently that isn't out yet. Mm. where the the question that was posed basically why is this all so uh hard or why is it still so hard after 20 years of agile and it came so, down to this topic yeah well it was interesting as i was reading through her articles you know she's been working with organizations for a couple of decades and so her more recent work talks about how she's not really there to impose a certain change on an organization She's really approaching it more like she's there to help witness change, um, to help people work through the process on their own, but with her, um, her like grounding presence, I guess. And it, as I read through it, I thought, wow, she's on such a different wavelength from where I am because I'm still noticing some attachment to outcomes in myself of like, no, no, I... I want you to change and I want it to be something in this kind of area uh, away from this other thing Um, that I still see that in agile, especially like, even though we recognize it might be about values or a mindset or a culture, and that's still pretty fuzzy, we're, we're aiming towards something and away from something else rather than really being able to stand with a a team, an organization, a group of leaders, and help them find themselves, whatever that that means. So is this really a distinction between having an agenda as a coach, and then between that and facilitating co-creation? Is that a way to frame it? I'm, I'm liking that, yes. And so... As we ponder that for a minute, what are the dangers of actually? Why, because I, I think what you've what you've expressed here is something that perhaps a lot. I do this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do as well. We walk into with uh, the change that we want to uh, to make, or we've been we've been brought in to make a specific change, 
Yeah. And so there, I think you're implying a danger there that perhaps maybe you would un, you would unwrap for us. Sure. And and this is going to be me talking out loud, not really, you mm-hmm. know, stuff I've clarified previously. Um, It'd be a horrible podcast if it was just your inner monologue. I know, right? Or <laughs> let me pull out my script right now and read from that. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm with you on like, we're brought in typically for a, a certain kind of change. You know, we're agile lean practitioners. We're brought in for that agile lean stuff that we do. Um, I do recognize that there are times, you know, if I'm working in a, an organization and it feels like their appetite for change has dwindled or diminished, that probably means the end of our relationship, at least you know, our working relationship, that co-creation of something. And, um, and I, I guess I kind of wonder, what do I wonder? Um, it, it, does that make sense? Um, is that, is that us having still too much attachment to where we're trying to go with somebody? Um, you know, versus if I really was there as like pure coach, Anywhere that they as client want to go is going to be okay. They drive the agenda. Uh, maybe that relationship would have more longevity to it. Um, or maybe I would be showing up to it a bit differently where if they, if they were no longer um, as motivated for, say, agile change, I would be more okay with that. And maybe we would find something else um, to be exploring together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's one of my biggest struggles as a coach. I think Lisa Adkins uh, did a great job of articulating this in her book, Coaching Agile Teams, where mm-hmm. uh, we're not attached to the outcome. Right, right. Right. So we're, we're in service of, of, our, of the organizations and teams that bring us in. Um, but the outcome is not on us as a coach. And I, 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 I've, I've always struggled with that a little bit. It's, well, what do you mean the outcome isn't on us? And and I, I get wrapped around the axle a little bit on this, but I also find that organizations, when they bring in a coach, they do have an outcome in mind. Mm-hmm, and the expectation mm-hmm. is for us to drive that outcome. And so there is this kind of conflict in um, the way that we're brought in, but then the way that by, by an organization who's paying us, but then the mm-hmm. way that we're actually supposed to show up and coach to get the, the maximum result. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like there's a a certain leap of faith that we as coaches have to do. Um, We know that we're brought in to help with agile transformations. And there's a recognition that if you're trying to drive or push or, um, you know, just kind of bully an organization into agile, it's not going to go very well. Versus if you are um, inviting people in, if you're asking questions, helping them understand what does Agile mean to them and what might it look like and uh, help them find changes on their own, you're having to, to be that more objective or, or like less tied to outcome stance. And that's the leap of faith of like, I believe that if I can show up without trying to push them that they will find a way to be more agile than if I actually tried to teach and push and bully and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And what's amazing is, is that this is still even a conversation because I think we've all found as coaches and consultants that coercion doesn't work. (laughs) 
right? True, but but I also recognize like we each have egos, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, who doesn't want to put on their resume like I helped this massive organization transform, and it was case study after case study and raving success for the industry. You know, like, what is it that we can put on our resumes and say like I accomplished that when it is in fact the work that our clients do, the the teams that we coach, the organizations that we work in. Well, and perhaps it's enough that we held space, right? Mm. And we showed, we helped people, actually we didn't show them anything. We helped them see uh, what could be possible. But that doesn't sound as awesome on a resume as, I transformed the biggest bank in the world to Agile. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, how many interviews do you go in for Agile coach roles? And it's like, cool, I would like you to hold some space so I can see if I like uh, what you do and how you do it. That's right. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know when I'm interviewing coaches or, or even scrum masters, uh, I do have a part towards the end, if it's a face-to-face, where I like to have them coach me because I want to get an understanding of, like, what is your demeanor like? Um, how are you going to interact with a team or maybe a leader um, in the organization? Are you being thoughtful um, in the kinds of questions that you're asking are you, um, I mean, one, are you listening? Are you actually paying attention? Um, but then there's also like, if you are going to give me advice, you know, is it useful? You know, are you coming up with some, some things that I might not have considered or that might actually be helpful for me? Or are you going to come at it from a very dogmatic um, standpoint or, you know, make me feel patronized somehow because you've decided you're the expert expert and I just need to do something else differently. Yeah, I, I like that exercise and, and I, I do something similar, um, especially with scrum masters that, that we're considering hiring and I, I just ask them to teach me scrum. Yeah. And when I and I, when I work with a new team, the first well not one of the first, but early mm-hmm. on I, I typically ask, All right, teach me how you work. Yeah. And so just to have them walk through and what I have found is that by having them become the teacher and mm-hmm. you're just the person asking questions and not like leading questions. Like, are you sure it's not the daily scrum <laughs> instead of the stand up? You know, not, not, that's important. Language is important, but not a leading question, yeah. but just so how does that how does that sprint retrospective work for you? How do you you know, just having them peel that apart? Mm-hmm. I think it creates opportunities and maybe even the space um, to have some teachable moments. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's but it's they're directing it. And I, yeah, yeah. And that's the hardest well, part because of my ego too, right? Because I, because I have it. Like you point out, we all have it. I want to be at the front saying, "This is what we do, and here's our our orders." But what I have mm-hmm. found is when they're directing the conversation, I'm asking questions or making very uh, light suggestions. Uh, things go a little bit better. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I cut you off. But well, I was gonna say, like, even even asking the team to explain how they work, you know, that's gonna take a certain amount of trust in that relationship between you and them. Yep. For them to actually say, okay, here's here's the truth, good, bad, and ugly. Right. Because um, I have seen, you know, sometimes coming in as a consultant, uh, you know, the team might have been told, oh, this expert's coming in, she's here to fix us and make everything better. And so as I start asking those questions, like, so how do you guys do this? You can tell they're dancing between here's the, some of the truth. And then here's what we know is like the textbook answer that we think you want to hear. 
And so it's actually having to go, you guys, like the textbook answer, like, I'm glad you, you are aware of that. It's more beneficial right now to learn how you're actually doing things. Right. Yeah, there is that fear, especially because when we walk into places, it sometimes feels like it's an assessment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because like you said, oh, the experts here, we, if we don't give the right answers, they're going to tell our bosses we're failing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, there's a story, and I don't remember who tells it, but uh, a t- when they were going in to do an assessment, the team had put together um, fancy burned-out chart, down charts, and they looked perfect. Oh, wow. Right? And uh, they, he started asking questions about these charts. And, and finally, one of the, it, w- it was actually one of the, the product owners, she kind of pulled him aside and said, look, we, we made all these things and put them on the walls because you're the expert. <laughs> this is what we're supposed to be doing. And then she walked through what they were actually doing and uh, it all sounded reasonable. And yeah, so the consultant yeah. went back and said, no, the teams are doing great. But I think that's a real thing where, you know, maybe part of that whole holding space and maybe all of that is predicated on that trust and that kind of uh, psychological safety first. Mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm. sometimes we jump the gun and think that we can jump to step six when we haven't even uh, established that relationship yet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it is kind of like, okay, it's like, I'm going to the doctor and they're asking me about, you know, my lifestyle. And it's like, um, do I really want to tell you I haven't been to the gym in the last couple of weeks or do I want to say, well, like generally I work out on a regular basis. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's definitely a difficult conversation if you don't trust the person, but I, yeah. I like that. So what are you doing in your practice to help, um, <laughs> Not necessarily directly about a client, but but as yeah. you're as you're working with new teams, as you're uh, establishing that relationship, as you're you know pushing your ego to the back, as many of us have to do. What are you finding that's helping you get yourself in this kind of mindset where it's not about the outcome, it's about the discovery, um, it's not about my agenda, it's about what we co-create as a team. How are you bringing some of those? I like to call them golf swings, but yeah. uh, or, or swing thoughts. Right. So, you know, keep my hands in a certain place and then I swing and I hit the ball better. But what are um, what are you doing to help bring some of those thoughts forward? Um, I guess because I I usually start off with a talk with the scrum master before I meet with the full team uh, to get some of that background information of like, how are things going right now? How are you feeling in the scrum master role? Uh, Let's talk about you know, what it might be like when I start attending your team's meetings. Uh, one question I typically ask is if I'm going to, if I'm in the, the meeting with the team, say it's a sprint planning, maybe a, a sprint retrospective, and I start to notice something, uh, would you like me to bring it up right then and there? Or would you prefer that, you know, you and I, Scrum Master and Agile Coach, talk about it offline one-on-one? Um, it starts to set some expectations uh, it also means that I'm trusting the scrum master of you can get through your team's event. However, um, there will be learning and growth, whether that means it's happening right then in the moment, uh, or it's going to come afterwards and you're going to get better the next time around. So it sounds like you're establishing a working agreement with the scrum yeah. master as you work with their teams and make, making sure they're comfortable with what you're about to do and Maybe that's that's the key step right there. It's really, you know, when you're working with a new team, the scrum master and you have a conversation, you have the working agreement. 
it's really a coaching agreement, isn't it? Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and cause I, I had realized, um, like when I was scrum master, I never had an agile coach. So I, I didn't really have someone that was just, you know, meant to be popping in and popping out of my meetings and trying to help us get better. So I would typically start talking to the other scrum masters, like who my peers were and going, okay, like I'm about to try a new retrospective. Would you mind coming to my team's retro so you could observe me and how I'm doing things and give me feedback afterwards? Because I want my team to be focused on the actual event and trying to get better based on the learnings from the previous sprint. And it's helpful if I can have someone that can give me more directed feedback. So I was trying to build like a buddy system um, versus now as I show up as an agile coach, like I'm your new buddy, whether you asked for me or not in a number <laughs> of ways. So let's figure out how to make that you know work for us. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great suggestion there. And thanks for bringing that forward. I, you know, this, this idea of self-organization, this idea of coaching agreements, I think these are things that we, we often, at least let me, I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak mm -hmm. for everybody, but... I can get so interested in trying to solve things mm -hmm. that I don't stop to lay some of that groundwork that, so in fact, I end up becoming an impediment for the first couple of days just because I didn't do that work. And so it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting reminder. So I really like yeah. that. Well, and I, I find that I fall into kind of a trap as well. It's like, there's so many assumptions that we all make about what agile coaching is you know, like I show up in an organization, well, they've already had some agile coaches or they've, they've talked to agile coaches or they've researched agile coaches. So they think they know what it looks like. I have an understanding of what I do and what I think it looks like, but we haven't had that shared conversation to make sure that we're actually aligned and that we know what this is going to be for us uh, and what's going to work and what's not going to work. So like you said, it's creating some working agreements, some coaching agreements, um, and just like when we have the team to find their working agreements, like this is something that we can revisit and continue to, to redefine as we go on. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Do you have any resources that you turn to when you're trying to figure out uh, the working agreements or the coaching agreements or even like the coaching stances? Do you have any favorite go-tos that the um, listeners out there could use? Let's see. So I, I've been through the Coaches Training Institute courses. Uh, and so I know they provided some resources to anyone that's been through like the fundamentals class. Um, there's the book um, Executive Coaching with Backbone and Heart is one that I really enjoyed. Uh, what makes it interesting is they talk about, you know, you're brought in as for them executive coach you're typically going to be working with like the executives direct reports. So you want to connect like what are the business results that they're looking for to the team behaviors that you're trying to establish as well as the executives behaviors. So like, what does that leader need to be doing? So it's recognizing that the team's behavior is not completely independent. Uh, you're going to have to connect it to the person that they all report to. Uh, and so it has a, a bunch of good questions in there to really feel out those relationships and how things might go. Very cool. Well, thanks for those. Yeah. So something else that, that I think a lot of people are talking about, but we talked about a little bit before the show, if we're ready to move on, are you ready to move? Sure. So scrum. Scrum. I love scrum. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it. 
Um, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show yet. I've recently become a professional scrum trainer through scrum.org. So I have definitely uh, hitched my wagon to the scrum train. Mm-hmm. That's no, that's the wrong metaphor, but wait, wait, hold on. That hold on wait, flip it, reverse <laughs> it, correct it. All right. Um, but anyways, so something we talked about is how scrum is kind of silent or, or agnostic about certain topics. And one of them mm-hmm. that you brought up that I thought was really interesting was uh, how to hold a team accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one uh, accountability I find to be a really difficult subject, um, to discuss because I find more often than not when someone uses the word accountability, I, it's like they have a baseball bat in their hands and they're like ready to go use it on somebody. And I prefer more of a, a neutral stance on it. I think Brené Brown had talked about it in rising strong where it's really like taking account of where we are. You know, we thought we were going to be journeying to this location. Now that we look at the map, we see that we've gone off course slightly. So let's take account of what got us to this different destination and what might we do from that going forward. That would be wonderful if that was the normal uh, (laughs) usage of that word, of the word accountability. I am, I actually, I'm a, I'm part of uh, Christopher Avery's uh, responsibility process group, so I mm-hmm. I do the, the the monthly calls with him, and uh, accountability and responsibility have very distinct meanings in mm-hmm. uh, in the mm-hmm. leadership gift program. Um, accountability is something imposed on others, and responsibility is um, something that comes from within you. Right? Mm-hmm. And so when I hear the word accountability, I, I cringe, kind of like what you were saying. With there's someone with a baseball bat ready to to hold you to account. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that that really does not work great in an agile setting. Yeah. That the, yeah. That the old stick coming out, uh, you know, the carrot didn't work. So now we're going to, the carrot of self-organization didn't work. So now we're going to swing the stick when the team fails. Mm-hmm. I find that that's not productive. Um, holding a team accountable is interesting in a scrum context though. So where, where are your thoughts on that? So I, I remember actually interviewing at a, at a client and I was talking to their COO and he wanted to know, like, what was I going to be accountable for as like the scrum master and, uh, you know, who on the team was going to be accountable for certain things. And so I told him, like, if I hold one team member accountable, that may or may not enable everyone else to work with that person, to collaborate with them and, you know, feel like responsible for the the results. However, if I'm holding the whole team, that whole group accountable collectively, they're going to start holding one another accountable for those individual commitments or individual promises that they're making to one another. So that's where I I look at it almost like a physics problem rather than uh, anything else. I have this group, I have this collection, I just think like a circle. How am I putting force towards like the entire circle so that they start holding one another um, more responsible for the, the things that they're saying that they're going to do, you know, day by day or sprint by sprint, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a great way to frame it. I also, when I'm having, and this conversation comes up a lot in organizations, mm-hmm. right? So where's the, where's the single throat to choke was the question oh, I, I was once <laughs> asked. And I, and I said, well, hopefully nowhere. Cause that's assault. And the executive gave me a funny look. I thought it was hilarious. Um, 
like most of my jokes, I think they're they're hilarious and you know people don't laugh, but um, you know those questions come up a lot. You know who's mm-hmm. accountable, who's responsible. Um, what I have found is that uh, in the latest update to the Scrum Guide, not the one coming out next month, but the the prior one, the the mm-hmm. 2017 update or the 2016 update brought mm-hmm. the Scrum values back into play. Yes. And so I think that was really just a a breath of fresh air into uh, the Scrum framework. You know, I, I found that people had one of two reactions to that. It was either like, hallelujah, this is justifying what I do as a human that's focused on helping other humans. Or it was met with like, oh, okay, that's nice. Yeah. And like people just like moved on with their day. Yeah, I uh, certainly fell in the first camp. I, um, yeah, yeah. When when it when we explained commitment, especially mm. framed in a way where it's a commitment to the Scrum framework, it's a commitment between team members to one another. Mm-hmm. I really thought that was powerful, and it really helps. It helped me at least frame this accountability versus responsibility discussion a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it definitely helps out there. The, you know, the courage, the focus, the openness, the 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 commitment, um, and the respect. You know, all of those things. I think I got all five of them. Um, <laughs> all of those things interchange and actually create that that culture of responsibility or account. I think the Scrum Guide uses the word accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really helps to create that culture to where it's not like I agree with you. Sometimes with a team, you're definitely pushing on that whole circle, that whole bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as the Scrum values, I think permeate the team, they become they start living it. You know, there's that moment where the team shifts from doing. Uh, scrum to being in the service of others and i think that's where responsibility or accountability kicks in but i think it's where the scrum values are lived and that's that's for me that's why i got really excited about the addition because a lot of these difficult conversations we have about you know who's going to swing the stick and who gets the carrot those kind of go away when teams kind of make that turn and transition right Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's like regardless of what your company values are or or like how your culture is doing things today, Scrum is now planting these five values into your team and it's going to start to disseminate across your organization. And it's like, what's the soil like where you are? Can those actually start to take root and grow? And it it reminds me of... uh, in speed of trust, there's this metaphor um, of, of a tree. And so at the very bottom of those roots, it's integrity. And I think of it like, okay, if I have these five values that I'm now living into, you know, courage, commitment, focus, openness, respect, that's going to help me, you know, become more intentional in the goals that I have. I'm going to start building up my capabilities. I'm going to start seeing more and more results. And so it's building up the rest of the tree uh, so that you can have more trust, you know, in yourself, in your organization, in the relationships that you have. Yeah, I, I think it definitely starts there. And as that tree grows out, you start seeing the improvements in empiricism. Mm-hmm. You know, when those values are lived, it's very easy to, you know, to have transparency, to inspect and adapt. You know, it's no longer scary to have your good and your bad work exposed and changed mm-hmm. and modified. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also found, and maybe we're drifting a little bit from how Scrum is agnostic, but even answering some of the difficult questions. You know, someone will say, well, can I as a Scrum Master uh, be the Scrum Master for three teams? Mm. Well, can you live up to the five Scrum values or the five values of Scrum 
while in service to three different teams? Mm-hmm. And can you live up to your commitments of coaching each team, coaching the organization, uh, working with the product owner for three different teams? And I think mm-hmm. that frames the conversation. It, it's, it's just a different way to look at it, but I think it was a powerful one because then you can start saying, well, no, I can't meet uh, that responsibility. I can't meet that accountability. And the, those values just swoop in and give you that backdrop and almost that safety to say so. Mm-hmm, I really thought mm-hmm. that was a power, powerful addition. So sorry for the tangent, but I thought that was a fun, you know, that was, that was an important change, at least in my view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I, you know, it, it's important that, that the scrum guide actually continues to get updated. You know, I, I think it's a really great way of, of being agile, of actually adopting, you know, new ideas that are great or getting back in tune with some of the roots of, you know, where, where did Scrum come from initially and how do we get more connected and more aligned with that? Um, and again, that, that part where Scrum is going to be very, very simple, very lightweight and, and stay agnostic on some areas, it can be frustrating that <laughs> Scrum doesn't give you answers of how do I have this conversation or what does it mean for me to do this or what does it mean for us to do that? But it's that recognition that there's more than one way of doing it. And any of those methods could be really, really great. And so Scrum is not going to try and tell you one and exclude all the others. It's actually going to stay silent and let you explore. Yeah, And I think that's critical to the kind of work we do. We're not working mm-hmm. in just a complicated uh, space. Mm-hmm. We're in a complex space where there's, there's more unknown than, than there is known. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to wrangle that complexity back into something complicated and ship it, in my view, right? And yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're a Kinefin fan, maybe I, I butchered that a bit. But, um, you know, when you're doing that, being too prescriptive is just such a limiting factor. I mean, and if you really, honestly, if this will fire people up, but if you want pres- prescriptive, um, here's exactly how to do it type scrum, do save. Mm. I mean, you're, you're drifting back into a waterfall model that way but i mean you could that's an option if you really don't want to explore um if you want it laid out for you if you want to go back to some of the phase gates and some of the you know six month release trains and all the there's an option um but i think what scrum has done beautifully is left you know maybe it held the space for you to explore like what we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier it's here's a framework with three roles um a handful of events a few rules or it's five events a few rules and and uh, three artifacts, very simple, right? Mm-hmm. Three, five, three, not a lot there, 17 pages, and uh, go explore and be prosperous. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I, and I find power in that. What I also found interesting when you're talking about the old, uh, or how Scrum has evolved, I've actually picked up, and I've been reading through the, the original book. So I don't know if you've seen, if I'm sure you have, the mm-hmm. old, uh, the Ken Schwaber and Mike Beadle book. And it is, it is fascinating as I'm reading through it going, nope, that's not it anymore. Nope, that's not. <laughs> but it's kind of fun to see how um, this framework has evolved. And what I think they've done well is that it's, al- it's almost evolved through subtraction. Yes. Yeah. Right? So it went from, it was more. Um, it's become, I mean, yeah, they added the scrum. The scrum values have always been there. I think the latest update was a clarification of those values or a restatement. Mm-hmm. But um the way that it has continued to stay simple and in some cases become more simple, I mm-hmm. think is actually really impressive. 
Yeah, yeah. No more paying a dollar to the scrum master if you're late for the daily scrum. (laughs) You guys can figure out your own working agreement around that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think I did that once a number of years ago. Uh, (laughs) There was a a late jar, but yeah, no more of that, right? Yeah. What else do you have going on? What else is, uh, I think, I I love the two topics you brought forward, the self-organization Scrum being agnostic, I think we can continue into either one of these if you like. Or is there something else that that perhaps isn't as well formed that that you'd like to dig into? Uh, well, I guess I I've been kind of geeking out on you know what's my my differentiator as a coach. Like, what are the things that I like to do? Like, how am I different from other agile coaches? And I, again, I think that's an area that we sometimes gloss over. Well, okay, you want an agile team coach? Great. You know, what is it that person's going to come in and do? They're probably going to observe and they're asking some questions. They might do some lightweight training. uh, And then they'll probably continue to work with the team, make some suggestions, and eventually they'll transition off. It sounds the same when you talk to coach to coach to coach. um, But I, I do think that each of us bring in our own different styles, our different values, um, our different strengths, and that can look quite different from one person to the next. And so sometimes it's really difficult, I think, for organizations to understand what is it that you're getting if you hire this coach versus that coach. And so I've been trying to figure out, you know, how might we explore that and articulate that a bit better. So the differentiator. So there's a, an interesting book that I've been looking through, and I'm going to blank on it. <laughs> the guy that did Simon Simonic, the guy that did Start Sinek? With Why, Sinek, yeah, mm-hmm. he did a workbook with it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the Start With Why workbook. Been flipping through that uh, because I have the same question. You know, when I go to do a training course, mm-hmm. why should someone have me do their scrum training over someone else? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I bring? And so what are you discovering in that space? You know, what have you figured out? You know, what, wait, what makes Allison Allison? <laughs> so uh, I realized like I, I love helping change and it's not for me to come in and you know kind of have my my mental assessment of how things are going make my observations ask my questions and then provide recommendations it's actually far better for me to hold some space and uh, allow for some intentions uh, of, you know, I'm going to help make it safe. I'm going to help bring in some courage. I'm going to help bring in some creativity, you know, whatever I think might be needed for that particular group, whether it's a team or an organization for them to find how to make change. Uh, and I, I put it like that because I had started at a client and I had met with the team. I had met with the leadership, um, during the interview process, we all knew this was Allison's coming in to help us adopt scrum and figure out how we improve our delivery. And so the first day I observe, I ask some questions. The second day I mostly observe and I ask some questions. And by day three, I'm like, hey y'all, I thought I'd be observing and asking questions for like another week or so, but this seems like really painful. Like, would you be open to changing a few things right away? And they're like, oh, thank God, yes. <laughs> And, and so, again, it was that recognition of it's not for me to come in and play expert. It really is for, for me to help provide some grounding uh, for the necessary 
changes to happen. Um, Because up until then, it was just conflict um, for that group, for that organization. Just a lot of friction that um, I found it unbearable by day three. So that's why I was like, hey, um, I know that things can be different. I've seen different in other organizations. I really believe that you guys are capable of finding a better way. Are, Are you ready to have that conversation? And again, coming in as a consultant, I'm noticing that companies are ready for change right away. That's why they brought me in. They've been dreaming about what this change is going to be as they've been interviewing for consultants or coaches or just thinking about what could happen for them. And so if I, if I'm courageous enough to just step into like, cool, so how are things and what do you want to do about it without feeling like I need to understand what you do today? That's actually the best way I can service a group. What do you think about the idea that agile coaching is just really organizational change management? There's a part of me that can absolutely buy into that. Um, I guess I also have been studying enough on like professional coaching that I see that there's sometimes it's a lot of professional coaching. So we're in like this weird like Venn diagram, like intersection between a couple different areas. Um, I had actually read an article last week. It's a McKinsey article on uh, helping an organization become agile. But their sense of what that meant was helping an organization to form teams and dissolve them quickly uh, in order to meet, you know, specific initiatives, let's say. And I had tried to share this with some, some peers, with some colleagues, And because it was so antithetical uh, to agile software development teams, where we are typically looking at having a a group of people dedicated to product development and staying together for a very long period of time, they, they just couldn't get their head wrapped around the notion of agility might mean teaming and reteaming very, very often, very, very frequently. Uh, But I felt comfortable enough playing with that idea especially after hearing Heidi Helfen's dynamic reteaming yeah. uh, presentation a couple years ago. So I, I think there's still a lot more that we could be learning from some of these other areas like organizational change management and professional coaching. I also see that there's a lot they can learn from us because we're okay to make change and do it very quickly and not think through all of the steps sometimes. <laughs> Definitely. Do you think that uh, just the fact that a company brings in a consultant like, you know, like one of us, maybe that's, does that create the permission to think about uh, what's new and what's possible? And maybe that's... I think so. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I know that's where it can also be frustrating sometimes for the employees that like, here comes in the consultant and they're just saying the same things that you've been trying to say as an employee. Yep. Um, I had actually partnered with a scrum master at one client because I knew she was feeling pretty down. And so I, I talked to her one-on-one. She said, I'm really frustrated because it feels like you've been given full permission to do the things that I've been wanting to do. And I said, oh, girl, this is your chance. Like, tell me what you've been wanting to do. And like, let's use my clout. Let's make this happen. Like, you're the one that's going to be living here and working here, so to speak, after I'm gone. So this is the time. Yeah, I I think that's great. So Allison, I'm I'm interested in the the professional coaching topic. And so this is an area that I am deficient. And I'm openly deficient. I've, we've talked about this on the show. I, I, I try to listen. I, I try to ask questions. I try not to problem solve too much. I think some of the basics, like I, 
I'm, maybe we'll call me an, an advanced beginner. How about that? Mm. That'll maybe and then maybe that's a little gracious, but um, where could I go? I know that you have a, a, a number of certifications or or some education in this area. If mm-hmm. if the listeners out there, if they're also like me, where coaching may not be, um, it's something that we do, but it's something that maybe we'd like to take it to a professional level. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the right mm-hmm. way. Maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but maybe it's time to take it to a professional level. What are your recommendations? What have you found to be helpful to your practice? You you might be like strongly in the like conscious incompetence. Like okay. you're practicing, but you're so self-aware that you might be getting in your own way. Because okay. um, I know when I went through coaching training and then certification, like I was so self-aware of like every every potential mistake um, like the strong, strong, like inner judgment coming through it, it drove me nuts. Um, but it gave me a lot more empathy for people that I'm coaching now. Uh, so I think a number of folks are, are going through the agile coaching institutes training, uh, the coaching agile teams class. And that's where they're learning about some of the professional coaching skills. Uh, that's a great introductory, um, still within like the agile coaching offerings. I know that agile for all, uh, Jake Calabrese and Trisha Broderick have a, a class, and Sue Johnston up in Canada. Uh, it's all understood. She has a professional coaching class uh, for agilists. Uh, you could also explore like the Coaches Training Institute. So it's the the largest and I think the oldest coaching school. Just go through fundamentals. It's typically a, a Friday through Sunday class. It is so experiential. Uh, I remember on Sunday as we were closing out the class, you know, we went around the circle, uh, you know, with some appreciations. And I said, I don't know when and how I learned all this stuff because there was never really lectures. Um, but I feel a lot more competent as a coach than I did, you know, just a few days ago. Because you're, you're going to be watching some demonstrations and then doing some skill drills. And so you're getting an idea of like, what are these different muscles? You know, what are these different things I might be doing as a professional coach? Uh, and, and starting to lean into those a bit more heavily. So you don't even have to do the full series. Just that single course really helps you as a professional coach. Cool. Thanks for those. I think one that uh, is on my radar for next year is... Um Coaching Beyond the Team with uh, yeah, Esther yeah, Derby yeah. and Don Gray. Yes, that's another great one for sure. So I think between all the ones Allison mentioned and then Don and Esther's course, we've got plenty of plenty of ways to spend our, our time and time and treasure on getting better at coaching. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. So Allison, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. We're hitting up on our time box. So being the good scrum masters that we are, uh, we know that we have to respect our time boxes. So at this point of the show, um, I'd like to invite you to you know, promote anything that you have going on. I, someday, I'm sure you'll have a, a book in process or your own podcast or <laughs> some other promotional vehicle. Anything that you've got going on, uh, we'd love to hear about it. And then if you could tell the listeners how to continue the conversation with you, I would really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. So right now, it's that, it's that funny time of year where you're really looking at submitting to the future conferences, uh. Uh, which for me is fun because I've created so many new talks and, and worked with different co-presenters this year that I thought I was going to be set and not need to create anything new. And then every once in a while, you find a person that you're like, man, I really want to work with you on a thing. 
And so let's invent a thing together. So Jason Knight from Tulsa, uh, he and I are, are working on a couple uh, ideas uh, to submit for conferences next year. And then Marcus King and I will be doing a workshop in January at Code Mash. Uh, so it's a very developer-centric conference. I know he's really excited. Uh, I, I'm really curious to check it out myself because I've heard such great things from our other developers, uh, even though that's not really my territory. Um, and Improving apparently hosts a, a big board game uh, room, so all the gamers like to hang out uh, and get together. And if you want to keep talking to me, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Allison underscore Pollard. Very good. Thank you, Allison. I always enjoy these conversations. I wish we could do them more often. We'll have to, we'll, we'll have to steal some more time with you or from you uh, totally. in, the, in the near future to get you back on the show. This was tons of fun. So thank you. Thanks. And as for me, your host, Ryan Ripley, well... You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Ripley. RyanRipley.com is the website that hopefully you're listening to the show on. If you're not, you're probably on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, uh, please leave us a review. Five stars is always appreciated, but do be honest. Uh, if you'd like to take it a step further in your support, first of all, thank you for sharing the show. The numbers are going up month over month, and that means you're sharing the show with your friends, coworkers, families, peers, and all those other people that you think could find it useful. But if you'd like to do more, uh, we did set up a, a Patreon account. There's a link on the on the website. Feel free to uh, check out those rewards and, and levels, and, and thank you uh, for that support. Uh, but other than that, if you want to keep the conversation going, leave us a comment in the show notes, along with all of the links and stuff that, that Allison brought forward. That'll all be there. Uh, continue the conversation, engage, and let's see what we can learn. But as always, uh, thank you, everyone out there for being here. Thank you, Allison, for sharing your time and your, your wisdom. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone has a great... Let's see. This will probably be at night. So I hope everyone has a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.